0: Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews, which is in the last 50 pages of the Bible near the back. And if you haven't been with us, we're in this series called The Supremacy of Jesus, the study in Hebrews. And uh, again, as you're turning to Hebrews, if you don't have a Bible with you but you'd like to look on, we should have some black ones in the seat rack near you that say NIV on the end. If you pull one of those out on page 845, you'll be able to find Hebrews 12 quickly and we'll be able to read along together. So Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 18 to the end of the chapter, verse 29 this week, and um, the message is called Jesus the Judge, and so I want to unpack that some more today. Um, I want to ask you a question. Is there anything that God can't say to you? Is there anything you won't let him talk to you about? And this is going to relate to the passage we're looking at today. Uh, some, some of you uh, have heard stories like this in your family. We have kind of a fun one in our family. My niece, one time when she was a very little girl, was playing in the bathroom doing who knows what. And uh, so my brother-in-law, her dad, walked into the bathroom. And as he walked in, she looked at him and said, I don't want to talk to you right now. <laughs> and uh, he, under his breath, he said, that's right. You're not going to talk to me. You're going to listen. <laughs> when I was a, a boy, um, about five or six years old, uh, one night at dinner time, my mom said to me what she always said to me every dinner time. Maybe your parents said this to you too Jeff, please go wash your hands. It's time for dinner. I don't know what caused me to do this, uh, <laughs> but I looked at her and said, Shut up. Yeah. I quickly learned there are consequences to that. There's more to that story, but you don't need to know. And and so at that point, sometimes there's things we won't let other people say to us. There's things that God can't say to us from where we're standing. And uh, that's something that God wants us to see is never a wise path. It's never the path to a full life. And so if you're following along, it's the question that I want to start with today. came to me while I was studying this passage. Is there anything the Lord can't say to me? Is there anything the Lord can't say to me? Some of you know that the Bible says in the last days... There's going to be a lot of people that will not listen to the Lord. If you look at 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, we're actually going to study, by the way, 2 Timothy this fall. But here's what it says. For there is going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth, but will go around looking for teachers who will tell them just what they want to hear. They won't listen to what the Bible says, but will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. There's going to be some things for many people that God can't say to them. And the question is, is, are there things God can't say to me? Now today, what I hope you'll see is that um, by the time we get to verse 28, there's a word that's going to pop up in that verse, and it's the word reverence. And What I want to try and do in our time today as we unpack this passage is show you how reverence is directly related to listening and how we listen. Uh, If you need a definition of reverence, I think I've got one here that we can put up on the screen. Let's read it together. Reverence means to regard or treat with deep respect. When there is a kind of reverence in my life for anybody, I mean, if you've ever been invited to a lunch appointment or to somebody's home that was important to you, did you notice that you were more careful not to be late? Did you notice that you listened with more eagerness or more willingness because you were impressed by them? You had at least a deep respect for them. But the less respect you have for someone, the less excitedly you listen. So this week I was thinking about this, is that the more reverent I am, the more ready I am to listen and obey God. The more reverent I am, the more ready I am to listen and obey God, but Conversely, the less reverent I am, the less ready I am to listen and obey God. Now, as we get near the end of this letter, what the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand is this. He's writing to these people that had grown up Jewish and had come to a place where as dangerous as it was, as costly as it might be, they had decided to trust in Jesus as the Messiah, as the one that the Old Testament had prophesied would come. They believed that Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the Messiah. And so they had put their trust in him. And as soon as they did that, the backlash was immediate. Some of them had lost their friendships. Some of them had lost their family closeness. Some of them had lost even their homes. Some of them had lost their property. Some of them had lost their jobs. Again, it got hot. And you can see in different nations that if you leave a certain religion you're gonna pay the price in some religions, it's that way, and that's what they were going through. So they were, they were wondering if they should quit. They were like hanging on, and last week we saw, he said, run with perseverance, you can do this. Jesus wants you to do this. This week he's saying, hey, by the way, now that you have been blessed by all that Jesus has done for you on the cross, you gotta, there's one more thing I need to say to you about that. Be careful not to get cocky. Be careful not to get careless. Be careful not to become sloppy and irreverent with God because to the extent that you become irreverent, you're going to stop listening to him and you're going to stop being close to him and it's not going to go well for you. You're going to see in the long run that if you will stay reverent before God, he will help you through this tough situation and you're going to see that he is worthy of giving all your reverence to him. It's going to be wise. But remember, there's a warning there for all of us. Anybody notice this? I've walked with Jesus now over 35 years, and I just got to tell you, I've watched seasons where sometimes I would have to put the word irreverent over that season of my life by comparison to others, and I've just seen what happens. You start cutting corners. You start saying, this doesn't matter. No, you know, I know the Holy Spirit wants me to do that. I don't want to do that, and you just see the difference, so there's this warning. If you're following along, Hebrews 12, 18 through 29 lovingly warns us not to refuse Him who speaks. We're going to see that in verse 25 when we come to it. Do not refuse him who speaks, is this warning that this passage gives us. Now, here's what's interesting. He does something. I've been fascinated by the writer of Hebrews this whole series. He takes these Jewish people that had grown up instead of Sunday school, synagogue school or Sabbath school, and they knew all this stuff from the Old Testament. And they're wondering how that relates to their new life with Jesus. So he keeps showing them all kinds of cool stuff that they missed in the Old Testament. And that's exactly what he does here. He's gonna, he's gonna, if you're following along the notes, what he's gonna do is he's gonna talk to them about two mountains, Sinai and Zion. He's gonna contrast those. And he's gonna show them that both these mountains are where God speaks, where God speaks. And so it's, again, this whole idea of listening is which mountain are you coming to? Do you know which mountain you put your trust in coming to? And he's going to unpack that. So uh, you ready? Why don't I pray, and then let's ask God to help us. Lord, I ask that this wouldn't just be an information exchange. I ask that this would be heart to heart between you and I and every person in this room. I don't know how how you do it, but you, you have ability to bring us to the point of this kind of reverence that blesses our lives, and I pray for that today. I pray for a thankful reverence to be developed in every one of our hearts, and we're amazed at how you can do that, and we pray with faith that that would happen in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let me start reading here, and what I want you to notice is I'm going to start reading in verses 18 through 21 about mountain one. And then in verses 22 through 24, I'm going to read about mountain two. So you're ready to follow along? And then I'll let you know when it's uh, your turn to read from the gray boxes on the notes. Here we go. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded if even an animal touches a mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. What in the world is he talking about? For those of us that don't know the Old Testament, don't know the Bible very well, here's what he's doing. He says, remember what happened in Exodus 19 and 20 when the Old Testament, the law, remember the Ten Commandments when we talk about that? When it was given there, all the people, the Israelites, all met around Mount Sinai. He doesn't name the mountain." But he says that it could be touched. Now, God's command is don't touch it when I'm on that mountain because it'll kill you. But I'm telling you is that it is a real place. So he takes them back. So let's look at a few verses from Exodus 19 and 20. Even if we've heard this before, it's powerful. And he's he's, he's bringing back to their minds this important truth. So on the morning of the third day, God had told them to prepare for three days. So they were ready to meet him when he showed up thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain there was a long loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled moses led them out from the camp to meet with god and they stood there at the foot of the mountain can you picture this all of mount sinai was covered with smoke because the lord had descended on it in the form of fire the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln and the whole mountain shook violently the whole mountain i mean that that would not be a fun place to be standing at the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder moses spoke and god thundered his reply now again if you ever experienced this that day you would never forget it the rest of your life some of you have lived through earthquakes and you know what it's like when the geological plates are shifting underneath the ground on you. And you have no sense of stability. It's just totally frightening. Add to that the noise, the sound, the light, the darkness, the, the smoke. All this is just an amazing time. Now look at what happens in Exodus 20. It goes on. The Ten Commandments have just been given. And it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Whew. This was an unforgettable day. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, You've not come to that mountain. But so, what's mountain number one? If, you, if you're following along in the notes, notice that mountain number one is where God's voice was met with fear and refusal where God's voice was met with fear and refusal. I wanna make sure I qualify what I mean by refusal. I don't mean harsh refusal, like we're not gonna listen to God. But what I'm saying is is what they did this is they said this, "Um, we don't wanna listen to God directly. So Moses, let's work it out this way. You go talk to him and then tell us what he says. Now, here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes we say to God, God, I don't want you to talk to me directly. But I'll listen to my parents or someone I respect or a pastor or a priest or whatever. I'll listen to them, but don't talk to me directly. And in a way, what they were doing was they were saying, we we don't want it, we can't bear it, it's just too much. And God was gracious and he complied with their request and he did that. But what they understood about Mount Sinai is, oh my goodness, God is different than us. He is awesome. No matter what I had imagined in my head, no matter what I thought, He is greater than I realized. Wow. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't come to this mountain. In other words, you're no longer one who's coming to get God's laws so that by somehow performing your way, you can somehow be accepted into his good graces, even though grace was built into the law as well as we saw in the Ten Commandments. He says, that's not the mountain you've come to. That's the one you left. You used to follow Moses, and used to think your religious performance was what made you right with God. You used to think, that's how I'll approach God. I'll come to Mount Sinai, and I'll just do all the stuff that he told me to do, even though I'll have Moses tell me, so I'll do it through him. He says, you haven't come to that mountain. Notice what he says next in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And let me stop for a second. Mountain number two, if you're following along, is that in Jesus, God now speaks a better word. In Jesus, God speaks a better word. This doesn't mean that God changed his mind. God, even in the book of Genesis, had already made provision for there to be one who would make a way for us to come to God. But through the law, he helps us understand exactly where we are. It's like a mirror. It helps us see. And it was meant to point us to our need for a Savior. And so the whole Old Testament is foreshadowing what God's going to do in the new. But what he says here is that in Jesus, he speaks this better word. And what I want you to see in these next you know, two verses Uh, After we start in verse 22 in these three verses is it's actually one sentence in the original Greek language that was written. And what it is, friends, if you are a follower of Christ today, if you have trusted in Christ, I want you for the next few moments to just let it soak into you what Jesus acquired and secured for you. I mean, this is an amazing thing. He says, but you have come. I know you're getting mocked for it. I know you're getting jeered for it. I know people say you're crazy that you've left the only security of Moses and Mount Sinai and all that stuff. No, 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 no. You've come to something much better. And now I want you to see what it is. Now, Zion, what do we mean by Zion? Some of you have heard it before. It's really kind of a Bible word. King David, the mighty warrior that he was, once took from the Jebusites the mountain that they had secured. It was a mighty fortress on top of it, city on top of it. And he won through a battle, he won that mountain. And once he won that that mountain, he made the city Jerusalem. And Jerusalem eventually is where the temple Solomon, his son Solomon, would build. And so on Zion, Zion actually over time began to become synonymous with the earthly presence of God. That's where God met with his people, there at the temple, there in Jerusalem. So he says, look, you've come to Mount Zion. Now, remember he said earlier, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched, you know, that's earthly, that's physical. That's what Mount Sinai was. He said, but you've come to a mountain that's more than just can be touched. It is heavenly. It is spiritual. And notice this, that in some ways we're all confused because we go, I know I'm eventually going to come to it. He says, I've come to it now. Friends, when God does something, it's as good as done. And he's saying, look, by faith, you already have come and approached God there at Mount Zion. You can begin to experience some of the glory that he's got for you, and you're going to eventually be able to experience it completely. But here he is. Now, look at the seven things he just does. I'll just go down them quickly. He says, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Second, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Uh, The word joyful grabs me can you imagine this now did the first mountain seem real joyful the first mountain their experience with them they, they found themselves absolutely you know exposed this mountain is because of what jesus has done is joyful now i don't know i i've never been around an angel so i can't imagine what it's like to be around one we talk about this in the first week but I know this, if I was around thousands upon thousands that were whooping and, and enjoying and joyful, that's going to be something that you put on your bucket list. That's huge. He says, thousands upon thousands of angels. I mean, when, when John, John came into that, you know, the, the curtain was pulled back and he stood for a few moments in heaven, the revelation. He said, even the angels ought him, but they're created. They're not, they're not equal with God. They're not even close. They're worshiping him in joyful assembly. Notice the next thing. It says that we actually not only get in on that, but we have come to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Firstborn in our culture can mean a number of different things, but in Middle Eastern cultures, the firstborn gets the whole inheritance. Jesus, the Bible calls him the firstborn, not because he was created, but a way of saying he gets the whole inheritance. Therefore, if you trust Christ, you get in on what he got on, got from the father given to him because of what he accomplished on the cross. But notice this, it says names written in heaven. Years ago, um, I was just struck when I read the New Testament about how Jesus sent his disciples out, these ordinary fishermen guys and other guys like that. He sends them out and he gives them the power to heal the power to cast out demons, and the power to preach. And when they come back, they they just can't tell them enough stories. They said, we saw demons cast out when we used your name. And he says this, he says, look, do not rejoice that the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When that begins to get you, When you begin to know who you are and realize your name doesn't deserve to be written in heaven, neither is mine, but that's what Jesus did. There's very few things you can't face anymore because your future is secure. Your name's there. It's there. Jesus wrote it in his blood. And then notice this. He says, you have come to God, the judge of all. Wow, now that, that part begins to say, I thought this was joyful. That doesn't sound joyful. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And then it says, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We already read about that in Hebrews 11, how God took people who as they trusted him, he made them complete. He made them perfect by their trust in him. And then it says to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Wow, I'm going to come back to that. Number seven, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. If you don't know who Abel is, in the first three or four chapters of the Bible, there's a named Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother Abel. And God comes to Cain and he says, what have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And what's he implying? Your brother's blood's crying out for what? Vengeance. Justice. And Jesus' blood, when he shed his blood on the cross, what does it cry out for? Mercy. Reconciliation. Hope. Forgiveness. New life. He speaks a better word. And that's why coming to Mount Zion is incredible. He's saying, look, in case you've forgotten who you are and the privilege you have, remember You now can approach, you can come to Mount Zion through Jesus. Wow. So if you're following along, there's another thing I want you to see, is that God's voice shook and will shake once more. God's voice shook and will shake once more. Would you read verse 25 with me on the message notes, please, out loud, that first gray box? See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Let me read verse 26 and 27 as well. It says this. At that time, remember it's referring back to Mount Sinai. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The word once more indicate... The meaning, the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit. Do you remember on Mount Sinai we talked about this? We read those verses. When God spoke, he shook a mountain. I don't know how powerful it is when you talk. It doesn't work that way for me. When God spoke, he spoke galaxies into being. His power and authority is staggering. And the Bible says is that when he spoke that day, it shook the earth. But now, according to Haggai 2.6, which he quotes again from the Old Testament, he says, once more, I'm going to shake, not just the earth this time, but the heavens. Everything's going to be affected in created earth, the universe. And what's going to happen is, at that day, these are words of judgment now, it's going to be seen clearly where people are with God. And on that day, God, as he speaks and shakes, it's going to matter what you and I do with the Lord. It really is going to matter. Reverence is going to be wise on that day, let me tell you. How many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis? You know, there's the book, The, the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe the first volume in that. It's a children's book, but man, I tell you, it sure is good for adults, too. And the and, uh, four children there in England, they find themselves in this wonderland called Narnia, this kingdom called Narnia. And uh, there is a Christ figure in the book called Aslan, who's a lion. And uh, so they find themselves hiding out at Mr. and Mrs. Beaver's house, and animals can talk in Narnia. And so they're having this conversation. Maybe you've heard this before, but I've never forgotten it. So one of the girls, says, her name's Susan, she says, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. There's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking. They're either braver than most or else just silly. Lucy spoke up. Then he isn't safe. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And some of us, in the way this is using the definition of safe is we want safe, a safe God, so we can control him. He's not safe in that sense. But the amazing thing is he's good. And because he's good, and because he's the king, we can trust him but it also means that we need to always remember who we're dealing with. He is awesome. He is not like us in many senses, and so we need to respect him. And once we lose respect, deep respect for the Lord, you'll see yourself, I'll see myself cutting corners, saying, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter how I live. It doesn't really matter. And that's not true. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, there's coming a day where it's going to be clear what what really matters. So one more verse here. Uh, let's read verses 28 and 29 there in the gray box, if you would, out loud. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. If you're following along, God's still a consuming fire worthy of our reverence. God still... God's still a consuming fire worthy of reverence. Now, let me just try and unpack this. When the people of Israel saw God on Mount Sinai, they were trying to figure out, how do we explain what just happened to us? Who is God? And all they could say is, he's a consuming fire. That's all they could be. Uh, just, they were just gripped by this. Now, what the writer of Hebrews is doing is brilliant. If you talk to people, even in churches nowadays, they'll say, You know, the God of the Old Testament, I don't like him. The God of the New Testament's different. And that's not true. God has not changed. God has prepared different things that would teach us in the Old Testament, but they were always pointing to the New Testament. He hasn't changed. So when we go, you know, I don't like, you know. Now, when he says he's a consuming fire, he's saying, look, remember that he is the same God who appeared on Mount Sinai. But now in Jesus, he's made a way for you to approach him so that instead of his fire destroying you, it can fill you. And when his fire fills you, it will consume and burn up everything that's unholy in your life. It'll go after it. It'll begin to put a kind of heat and a fire into your life that'll be healing that will be building that'll be life changing but remember don't mess with him if you're looking for safe of that kind of way he's a consuming fire our God is a consuming fire so it calls for reverence and uh, I like I want to say something because it's real quiet right now Sometimes that's how reverence looks, is quiet. But that doesn't mean, remember the joyful assembly? There is this incredible balance that when you begin to know Jesus Christ, you can know God as a consuming fire and your judge. You can begin to worship him instead of being in craven fear. You can begin to draw near to him. You can begin... To appreciate him, you can be thankful. I I like uh, Kent Hughes, one of the guys that mentored me said, Christians should be the people that laugh more than anyone else. But we should also be the people that are the first to be reverent and awed by God. I love in our church services when we laugh together. I love moments like this where we get quiet and we think of our amazing God. But here's why I wanna tell you that Jesus is the judge we can worship in the closing minutes we have. You ready? Here's the first reason. Jesus, the judge we worship, here's the first reason why we can worship him. For he's our mediator who paid our penalty with his blood. For he's our mediator, our advocate, our go-between. We learned this back several weeks ago. He's the one that not only judges us and declares us guilty, but he's also the one that steps down in our place and mediates for us. How does he do it? With his own blood. Nicky Gumbel, the creator of Alpha, has a tremendous illustration. He says this, two men grew up as best friends, except their lives took two very divergent paths. One became a judge and the other a criminal. At one point, the criminal ends up in the judge's court. He's obviously guilty, but he's the judge's friend. If the judge lets him off, he would not be fulfilling his role of dispensing justice. Justice must be served. Consequences must be played out. So he sentences his friend to the appropriate fine or penalty for his crime. And he says, you're guilty. What you did is serious and it's wrong. And he gives him the appropriate Penalty or fine. But the story doesn't end there. Praise God, the story doesn't end there. Then he steps down from the judge's bench and he lays aside his robes and he comes and stands alongside of his friend and he takes out his checkbook. And out of his own riches, he pays the entire fine. And then he says come to my house tonight for dinner. When God saw all of us in our reverence, in our rebellion, in our apathy, in our self-centeredness, he could have just judged us and declared us guilty for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And how much did it cost God to give us that gift? Everything. He gave the blood of his own son as payment for your penalty and mine. And therefore, he's not just the judge. He's the judge and the advocate we need. And I don't know about you, But I want to worship in the rest of my life for that. The second reason he's a judge we can worship is because of this. Is that though undeserved, he's the king who invites us into his kingdom. Though undeserved, he invites us into his kingdom. Is he safe? no, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And he invites us into his kingdom. And as his loyal subjects now, we don't try and earn our way in the kingdom, we are in the kingdom. But now that we have been invited into the kingdom, everything we do now is a thank you. Not because we're trying to be accepted, not because we're trying to earn his favor, now we do it as thankful people. And therefore, he says, I invite you in his kingdom. Colossians 1, 12, 13, and 14 says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise the Lord. He's brought us into his kingdom if you are trusting in Christ. What does that mean? That means the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. Everything that you see now, because he is a consuming fire, it's going to be shaken. Everything you and I put our trust in that's passing away is going to go away. The Bible says everything you and I know on this earth is going to be burned up. And the only thing that's going to last is what's eternal. God, and people. And what you and I do with the Lord is huge. And so that's that next line, is that what do I do with, what I do with Jesus is huge. It calls for reverence. It calls for reverence. Let me tell you about a third mountain, okay? Have I overwhelmed you with two? Tell you one more. In the New Testament, when Jesus came to earth, During his time on earth, they got a chance to see unbelievable things. They saw miracles. They saw the way he interacted with people. They saw the way he reached out even to uh, people that no one else would reach out to. They saw the way that he stood up to his enemies and how he treated them with a different spirit. And here's what's amazing. One day, Peter, James, and John are taken with Jesus up to a mountain. And on this mountain, the Bible says in Luke 9 that his appearance changed. And his clothes became brighter than lightning. And they realized, uh, we're not in Kansas anymore. And as they're standing there, they realize something's going on. And at that moment, they saw that appearing there with Jesus were Moses and Elijah, towering the law and the prophets, now standing with Jesus. And they were talking about Jesus' departure from earth after he died and rose again. They were talking about that. They were going over the plans. Moses and Elijah were very much alive, but they were just servants. Unfortunately, Peter was so awed by this sight that Peter started talking. He didn't know what to do, so he started talking. Sounds like me. And he goes, Lord, it's really good that we're here. Duh. He goes, let's set up three tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you, and we'll all like honor all three of you guys. And then the weather changed. Cloud comes in. And look at what it says in 9:34 and 35. Look at this. This is an amazing thing. It says, While Peter was speaking, <laughs> a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah are servants of mine. They're not the ones to ultimately listen to. This is my son. Listen to him. So the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that when you're thinking about quitting or when you're thinking about whether or not it's worth it, all, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. You remember how we started Hebrews? You remember the first verses of Hebrews? If you go back to the first chapter. Steve started us off. Look at this, it says, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. He's spoken to us by Jesus. This is my son, listen to him. So as we come to a close here, here's what I want to ask you, here's the closing question. If Jesus is supreme, Remember our series sentence? Put it here on the screen if we can. Let's read it together. Let's read it. If Jesus is supreme, then he deserves our whole life. And here's the question. If Jesus is supreme, is there any area I'm refusing to reverently listen to him? If Jesus is supreme, if he's worthy of reverence in your whole life, is there any area that you won't let him talk to you about? Is there any area that you will not let him control, that you will not let his consuming fire fill in your life? This last week, um, a lady in the church said, I got to tell you something cute that happened at bedtime. Her daughter's learning how to walk with God. She's a young, elementary age girl. So she's praying and she's learning how to address God with reverence. So she starts her prayer by saying, Dear Lord, King of kings, God of gods. And then she said, the next thing she said has stayed with me. Big of bigs. (laughs) God is saying, Jesus is big of bigs. So what is it? The reason this question came to me is this week, um, I received some money for something. And as I was thinking about that, um, across the ticker of my mind came this thought, Jeff, would would you do whatever I ask you to do with that money? And I remember thinking, I don't want to talk to you right now. (laughs) <laughs> Not for very long. Not for very long. But it caught me up short, and I realized there was something that he was less able to talk to me about. There's some habits in my life. There's some attitudes. There's some relationships. There's things sometimes at work, or some, maybe it's school for you. Maybe, is there something he can't talk to you about? You've blocked it off. My brother and sister-in-law are home from the Philippines, and they're going to be part of the service next week. And, uh, Scott, I... I was just thinking of my brother. been serving in the Philippines for 21 years now with Cindy. And one of the things I love about my brother is he's still saying, Lord, is there any place you want me to go? Is there anything you want me to do? I'll do it. And that kind of reverence allows the consuming fire to fill a person in such an incredible way that it brings healing, not destruction, to other people. And this is the one we worship with thankfulness and reverence and awe. So as we sing this closing song, I want you to think about, Lord, is there anything you can't say to me? And while you're here, do you need to say, I'm willing to change my mind? If you haven't trusted Christ, is it trusting Christ? If you have trusted Christ, is it an area of your life you've taken back? Let's think about that as we sing to our God, the consuming fire.